Thank you, Naomi, and children for ministering in music. <clears throat> I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 105. Psalm 105. <clears throat> A couple of thought questions as we think about this psalm. As parents, as grandparents, it is, is it important for your children, your grandchildren, to know your history? Whatever you're thinking in terms of an answer, why <coughs> or why not? Who controls history? The U.S., Iran, China, or someone else? And sometimes we look at world events and we wonder who is in control because things don't always seem to go quite like we might desire. Are covenants, whether spoken or written, important in history? Are covenants, whether spoken or written, important in history? Have you ever gotten frustrated with God's timetable? Now, things just don't go quite as you instructed him, and you become frustrated. As we think about Psalm 105, the structure follows the historical pattern of God's covenant with Israel made with Abraham to the fulfillment of the covenant as it relates to going into the promised land. The emphasis of each section is the fidelity of the Lord. The historical reflection leads to a thinking about his wonderful works. And we find that the psalmist, <clears throat> in verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 105, has an invocation to praise. He begins with praise. Then he talks about a covenant of promise. In light of the covenant of promise, he then leads to the protection of the Lord. And then he deals with the providence of the Lord. Then he goes back to the protection of the Lord. But at a later point in history... Then he deals with the fulfillment of the promise. And that ties in with the covenant of promise in verses 7 through 11. And then he concludes with praise. Begins with praise, ends with praise. Talks about a covenant, the protection, the providence of the Lord in the process and in between. The theme of Psalm 105 would be the history of redemption. From Israel's sojourning in Egypt to the conquest of the promised land. And it magnifies the Lord's covenant of faithfulness. And in Psalm 105, we're dealing with a period of history of some six to seven hundred years. And again, that's an extended period of time. And God doesn't always act as quick as we humans might desire. Psalm 105 complements the creation hymn that Zach discussed last week in Psalm 104 
and the hymn of the Lord's faithfulness in Psalm 106. Psalm 104, 105, and 106 focus on the Lord's fidelity as creator, as ruler, and as redeemer. And it's also associated with 1 Chronicles chapter 16, when David brings the ark to Jerusalem. So let's read together verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 105. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. O descendants of Abraham, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. In verses 1 and 2, we find stress just the act of verbal communication. The terms give thanks, call on his name, make known, sing, sing praise, tell. And that's all in relation to God. Give thanks to the Lord, Yahweh, the independent self-existing one. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell his wonderful acts. Verses 3 through 5, the idea of glory. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look, seek, (coughs) remember. We're dealing with some very strong terminology and how we respond to God, how Israel would have responded to God. Glory in what? His holy name. Saying about the holiness of God earlier. The hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoicing. The variety of the verbs for praise adds importance to the wholeness of worship. Has anyone ever caught you glorying in the Lord? Someone says, what are you doing? I'm glorying in the Lord. My heart's rejoicing in the Lord. I'm looking to God. I'm seeking God. O descendants of Abraham, in verse 6, his servant. O sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. Who is the object of worship? The Lord. The acts of the Lord reveal his being. Who are the subjects of worship, according to verse 6? The descendants of Abraham and of Jacob. The people for whom the wonderful works and the mighty acts have been done. The Lord graciously established a covenant with Abraham, according to verses 8 through 11 and verse 42, and then committed himself to Abraham's children, And then confirmed the covenant to Jacob. And Israel looked back to Jacob as being the 
patriarch and the goal of worship is to magnify the Lord. The goal of praise is to magnify the Lord. And also, as we look at the history recorded in this chapter, (coughs) praise intensifies the appreciation of history of redemption. And praise also witnesses to an outside community, that is, those outside of the community of faith. Look at verses 7 through 11. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are on all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham. The oath he swore to Isaac. He confirmed it to Jacob as a decree to Israel as an everlasting covenant. To you I will give the land of Canaan as a portion you will inherit. The covenant fidelity of the Lord is so strong in these verses. The psalmist is speaking, he says, He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. And then the psalmist reflects back on the covenant. He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant he made with Abraham. You go back to the time of Abraham. God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans. Abraham ended up in what we call the promised land. But God made a covenant with him. I will bless you. I will make of you a great nation. I will give you a land. Made a covenant. Years have passed. What does he say? He remembers his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. But it didn't stop with Abraham. The end of verse 9, the oath he swore to Israel. I'm sorry, Isaac, not Israel. The oath he swore to Isaac, made a covenant with Abraham. Oath, he renewed that or reaffirmed it to Isaac, and then he confirmed it to Jacob. Abraham having a son Isaac, Isaac having a son Jacob, and God reaffirming that forever. And then he says at the end of verse 10, to Israel as an everlasting covenant. What does the Lord do? He remembers his covenant. The Lord is faithful to his covenant. And that's part of glorying in the Lord's character, his faithfulness, his fidelity to a covenant. Then in verse 12 through 15, we find the protection of the Lord. He made a covenant, he made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. In verse 12, when they were few in number, few indeed and strangers in it, they wandered from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another. He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. 
and do my prophets no harm. He says in verse 12, when they were few in number. The nation of Israel began with Abraham. Abraham had one son, the son of promise. Even though Ishmael was blessed, he was not the promised son. Isaac was the promised son. From Isaac came Jacob and Esau, but we know that Jacob was the one through whom the Lord was working his promise. And it says they wandered from nation to nation. If you study the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they wandered from various nations, one nation to another, from one kingdom to another. But the text clearly states, and you look at Genesis, the Lord allowed no one to oppress them. You remember, remember Abraham went down into Egypt and the Pharaoh took Sarah and the Lord acted on that quite quickly and said, Pharaoh, you're as good as dead because you took another man's wife. We know at another point in time, Abimelech took Sarah and she was going to become his wife. And remember that Abraham is the one who said, Sarah, you're a good-looking woman. People will want you. Tell them, you're my sister for my sake. And she was his half-sister. Now, how would you wives like your husband to say, in order that my neck is saved, you tell them, that you're my sister, knowing that they're going to take you as a woman to be their wife. And what does the text of Scripture say? He allowed no one to oppress them. For their sake, he rebuked kings. Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. No one could undo the promise, the covenant that the Lord had made. Not even Pharaoh, Abimelech, or his son. And the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord because of the protection. And then in verses 16 through 23, we find the providence of God coming into play. These verses focus on the Lord at work in Joseph's life. Now remember, we have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, from Jacob came 12 sons, Joseph being the next to the youngest. And we know that Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. But God was at work. Each verse in this section displays the majestic manner of the providence of the Lord. The Lord is at work. Look at verse 16. He called down famine on the land and destroyed the supplies of food. We know that ties in with Egypt. And he sent a man before them. <clears throat> Joseph sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. To what he foretold came to pass. Till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The rule of the people set him free. He made him master of his household. 
ruler over all he possessed, to instruct his princes as he pleased and teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. Now notice a couple things. In verse 16, he called down famine on the land. We know that there was famine on what we call the promised land. That's why Jacob sent his sons to get food in Egypt. And there was going to be a famine coming on Egypt in the future. But notice the Lord's preparation. In verse 17, he sent a man before them. Joseph sold as a slave. Do you ever consider God working in history when Joseph went to find his brothers as instructed by his father? They took Joseph, threw him in a pit, and then sold him into slavery that God is at work. The Lord is acting in Joseph going into slavery and in unjust imprisonment. Where's God? He's at work. And we know that Joseph got into Egypt, and he ended up in Potiphar's house, and Mrs. Potiphar lied about him. She wanted him to be involved with her sexually, and he said no. And she lied about him, and he ended up in prison for years. And then he interpreted a dream or two men's dreams and he was forgotten for another period of time. The dreams of Joseph were fulfilled after his unjust treatment. But God is at work. Notice in verse 18, they bruised his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. It's one thing to have your feet in shackles. How about your neck in irons? This was till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. Now, Joseph had some things to say to his brothers, but he ended up in slavery, and his brothers and his father did come to him and did bow to him. So the king sets him free, releases him. And he's made master of Pharaoh's household, ruler over all that he possessed. He, Joseph, in verse 22, instructed the princess, and he taught the elders with wisdom. Joseph was administrator over all Pharaoh's possessions. As a Hebrew, Joseph was given liberty to instruct princes and teach the others. Then, in verse 23, Israel entered Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien in the land of Ham. God is working year after year after year, and the psalmist is saying, praise the Lord. In verses 24 through 36, we go back to the protection of the Lord. Verse 24, the Lord made his people very fruitful. 
He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses his servant, and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his miraculous signs among them, his wonders in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark, for they had rebelled against his words. He turned their waters into blood, causing their fish to die. Their land teemed with frogs, which went up into the bedrooms of the rulers. He spoke, and there came swarms of flies and gnats throughout the country. He turned their rain into hail with lightning throughout their land. He struck down their vines and fig, tree, or fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke, and the locusts came, grasshoppers without number. They ate up every green thing in the land and ate up the produce of the soil. Then he struck down all the firstborn in the land, the first fruits. of all their manhood. See, this section moves to the time that Israel spent in Egypt. The Lord is actively at work during that 400 years. Remember, he had told Abraham that there was going to be a 400-year period. Please think about God. <clears throat> Joseph goes into Egypt. <clears throat> We know that a pharaoh came on the scene that forgot about Joseph. So what happened? The Israelites are made slaves. God's blessing them numerically, according to Abraham's promise, resulted in persecution. How many times during the 400 years do you think Israel cried out to God, God, where are you? Where are you? We get impatient after a year or two. Where's God? God is at work. Israel's multiplication in fulfillment of the promise to Abraham resulted in hatred. The Lord's bless, blessing providentially created Israel's adversity. Now get that. The Lord's blessing providentially created Israel's adversity. He's blessing them. They're increasing in number, but that creates a problem and they become slaves. The adversity is passed over by the psalmist because he focuses on the Lord's protection. As evidenced, by his mighty acts. And those mighty acts in verse 26 come through his servant, and that servant being Moses. The psalmist lists eight of the ten plagues that came in Egypt. He also changes the order. <clears throat> he poetically rewords the account of God's mighty acts in Egypt. It doesn't change the reality of what happened in Egypt. The plagues listed in Psalm 105 are listed between the ninth and the tenth plague. There's nothing 
super great about this other than on the right-hand side, we find the plagues in Egypt. On the left-hand side, we find how the psalmist listed them. He starts with the darkness, ends with the death of the firstborn, with six other plagues between. Different than, you know, the order in Exodus. But the psalmist is praising the Lord for his protection, his working, his deliverance while the children of Israel are in Egypt. Israel entered Egypt. Jacob lived as an alien. The people became very fruitful, too numerous for their foes. And that resulted in the hatred of the Israelites. But where is God? During those 400 years, where is God? Fulfilling his covenant. Because he told Abraham, my people will go into a land and they'll be there some 400 years. And part of the fulfillment of the covenant is Moses. Moses, we know, was found in a river by Pharaoh's daughter. Raised in Pharaoh's house. Spent 40 years taking care of sheep and then returns to deliver Israel. And verse 27 talks about the miraculous signs, the wonders in the land of Ham, darkness, blood, frog, flies, gnats, hail, locusts, and the death of the firstborn. You're sitting in your living room watching your favorite sport or else you're in your kitchen preparing a meal. As you're preparing a meal, the frog jump, jumps into you know, the batter that you're preparing. You're sitting in the living room and the frogs just keep jumping in your lap and on your shoulder and you think these pesty frogs, I'll go to bed. You go to crawl in bed, and there's already tons of frogs underneath the covers. You think, will this ever end? Well, the frogs finally go away. Then the gnats come along. You ever say these pesty gnats? Ah, they're terrible. And then the flies and locusts. If you look around at this point in time, some of the trees are pretty bare because of the gypsy moss. Can you imagine the locusts stripping our nation bare? God is at work. And the psalmist is looking at history, praising God for his fidelity and fulfilling the promise. Let's read together 27 through the first part of verse 45 as we find the fulfillment of the promise. <clears throat> he brought out Israel laden with silver and gold from among their tribes, no one faltered. Egypt was glad when they left because dread of Israel had fallen on them. He spread out like a cloud as a covering and a fire to give light at night. They asked and he brought them quail 
and satisfied them with bread of heaven. He opened the rock and water gushed out. Like a river, it flowed in the desert. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. <clears throat> he gave them the lands of their nations, or the lands of the nations, and they fell heir to what others had toiled for, that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. When you think of a slave, you think of a nation of slaves, you think of poverty, they have little, but the text says he brought out Israel laden with silver and gold. Where'd that come from? The Egyptians. God's at work fulfilling his promise. From among their tribes, no one faltered. How did he guide them? A cloud by day, fire by night. He provided for them quail, bread of heaven. He opened the rock like a river. Can you envision Moses striking the rock and the Susquehanna appears? He opened the rock and water gushed out like a river it flowed in the desert. God's providing, he's fulfilling his promise. For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. Some six to seven hundred years later, as the children of Israel are in the desert, as they're given quail and they're given bread and they're giving water, given water, that's reflecting back on the promise made to Abraham. And the psalmist is tracing history back of how the Lord is at work. He remembers his holy promise. So a five-year-old comes to dad and says, Hey, dad, can I have a bike? And dad says, Yes, son, you can have a bike. So the son runs off and he thinks, ah, dad's going to get me a bike. And the next day, son comes to dad and says, dad, you promised me a bike. Where's the bike? The bike's coming. Two weeks later, he says, dad, where's the bike? Dad says, the bike's coming. Half a year later, son says, dad, where's the bike? And dad says, the bike's coming. A year and a half later, son comes to dad and says, dad, where's the bike? Dad says, the bike's coming. Three years later, son comes to dad and says, Dad, where's the bike? The bike's coming, son. Don't worry, it's coming. And what happens? He keeps coming back. Can you envision 600 years? He remembered his holy promise given to his servant. Abraham. Promise made to Abraham hundreds of years later, God is acting on that promise. What happens? The people are brought out with rejoicing. 
his chosen ones with shouts of joy. Can you envision 400 years of slavery? And you're being delivered. Great rejoicing that is taking place because the Lord is remembering his promise. Verse 44, he gave them lands, the lands of the nations, and they fail or fell heir to what others had toiled for. Can you envision someone taking over New York City with all its wealth, with all its homes, and doing nothing to get it? That's basically what happened to Israel as they entered the promised land. They got the wealth. They didn't toil for it. Gave them lands of the nations fair heir to what others had promised. Because the Lord is being faithful to his promise. And then in verse 45, the Lord's purpose for his people in the covenant with Abraham in their being chosen and their being redeemed from Egypt and their living in the land of promise was nothing less than a responsive people that they might keep his precepts and observe his laws. And then the psalmist says, praise the Lord. So we think about this psalm before we sing together. Think about what is revealed about the Lord. He's worthy of praise due to what he has done in his mighty acts. I'm encouraging you, take time to reflect on what God has done. One of the things that I try to do most every morning, and the best time for me is when I'm jogging, and if I don't jog, then I plug it in otherwise. But while I'm jogging, I'll think about God. He's holy. He's sovereign, he's just, he's righteous, he's merciful. And then I'll think about the plagues of Egypt. I'll think about what God did. What am I doing? I'm praising God. I'm rehearsing. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. Rehearse in your mind what God has done. See, the wonderful acts of the Lord reveal his character. He's faithful. So finally, when son turns 12, dad says, son, here's your bike. And son says, that's a long time to wait. Well, Israel waited over 600 years. We also find revealed about God that covenants are important to him. He made a covenant with Abraham, reaffirmed it with Isaac and with Jacob. And hundreds of years later, he fulfilled it. We also find that he is sovereign in nations. Stop and think about world events today. We hear about Iran. We hear about China. God's sovereign. He's working out his will, his purpose. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. His timetable is not like ours. Generally much slower than us. We think it'll move a boom, 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 boom. And his is boom. 
Boom. But he's faithful. Some possible applications. History is vital. Remember biblical history. Your own history. Share your history with your family. History is really important. Psalm 105, what is it? History. Recalling the Lord's faithfulness. Praise the Lord. Here's what God has done in terms of promise, in terms of protection, in terms of providence, in terms of protection, in terms of promise. Praise the Lord. Share your own history. Rehearse the Lord's history. The Lord controls history, including today. Not China, not Iran, not the U.S., not Russia, not England. And also stop and think about your own history. Who controls your history? Ultimately, the Lord. Knowing the Lord in His character and works in history is very, very important. Recall history. Recall biblical history, what God has done in history. So very, very critical. So very, very important in terms of praising the Lord. The Lord desires a people who will respond to him and his wonderful acts, his grace in history. If you're a believer in Christ, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. You're going to be presented to God holy and blameless. You've been adopted. You've been redeemed. You've been forgiven. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. You've been seated with Christ in the heavenly realms along with a host of other items. And that depends upon the covenant of God, God's promise. So we want to sing about the Lord's faithfulness as Travis comes to lead. And then after singing about the Lord's faithfulness, we want to sing about our response in light of the Lord's faithfulness.